we're going to start back in to the book of 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 3. Why did we take a break? Well, the end of the year, we always look at a theme. And we're to keep this theme in front of us uh, and, and participate in it. And our theme this year is fighting the good fight, which actually comes from the book of Timothy. It's mentioned twice in 1 Timothy and once in 2 Timothy. Now, we're going to start talking about elders. We're not saying fight the good fight means fighting with your elders. Okay, that's not what we mean. But as, you, as uh, Cody read this morning, verse 1 talks about if anyone aspires to the position of an overseer or elder, it is a good thing. And then down in verse 14 and 15, Paul gives one of the reasons why he's writing this epistle. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. And then he says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. In other words, he's writing 1 Timothy so that Timothy knows how to conduct himself, has to how to admonition, uh, ad, yeah, admonish others, and as well as how to structure the church. He gives them this long qualification list for elders and even deacons in there. And so this is part of what Paul means. Now, bef- we, we, t- we typically, typically do expository teaching, and that's what we're headed to do, but we're not going to do that this week. I, I really feel like I wanted to introduce this. The reason when I, why I want to introduce this is when I first became a Christian, uh, I never really gave any kind of thought to what kind of church organization it was. And when I say organization, I'm going to say the word government, okay? Uh, you almost hate to put that in there with the word church. But it, it's in its, its Webster sense. The government, how does your church operate? What's the government? What's the leadership? I never gave much thought to that. It wasn't until I went to Bible college that I learned of the different types of church government, and some of them were evangelical churches that had them. When I first learned of the elder rule government, which is what we believe here, there was an initial knee-jerk reaction as opposed to congregational rule. I mean, it just, it seems intuitive to say everybody ought to have an input. That was until I studied the pattern in scripture and also heard the arguments for elder rule. And then I came to accept that and see that as the biblical pattern. Now, I want to say you've come to Grace Bible Church, and I Uh, I'm not saying that to be cute or anything. Typically, Bible churches are very concerned with the way that they do things, and they try to make it as close to the Bible as possible. This area, church government, is one of its distinctions. There are others. But when, when someone says, well, what's a Bible church? Well, one of the ways to describe that is it's government. 
We follow the pattern of the Bible. It's a Bible church. So it's very interesting how this all plays in uh, together. One writes this, uh, John MacArthur writes, 20th century American evangelicalism with its heritage of democratic values and long history of congregational church government tends to view the concept of elder rule with suspicion. Some have been vocal in characterizing it as a new and subversive concept, threatening the very life of the church. At our semi-annual Shepherds Conferences, invariably the most popular seminars are those that deal with the issue of elders. Pastors want to know what elder rule is. If government by elders genuinely strengthens the church and how they can implement it in their churches. So again, as I say, as a Bible church, we are especially concerned with our doctrine being biblical, but also our polity being biblical. And we're concerned with the type of government. Um when I first took my first pastorate, it was in a Baptist church, and it was not um, it, it was not set up with elders. It had deacons, and they had said that I was the elder, so I was the leading one. It was all about me. But since since I was the leading elder, I ran the church like an elder ruled church. I didn't run the church. I just put myself underneath what I thought was the biblical pattern. And so it worked fine because it was the biblical pattern. And we'll talk about some of these, and we'll talk about some of the patterns. We'll talk about some of the difficulties. But I want to spend a little time talking about church government. And then I want to begin talking about elder rule. Let's look at it. Is it in the Bible, or are we making it up? And we don't want you to search the Bible. No, it is in the Bible, and I believe it's the biblical pattern. And this will extend into next week because the other thing I want to talk about is the plurality of elders. Like that first church wanted to do was make me the only elder, the ruling elder. It was I was in charge, um, even though I didn't run it that way. I, 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 I actually based it after what I had learned here at Grace Bible Church. Um, there, the idea is, is that there's a plurality. That's, that's, it's not just one man. It's a plurality. And those elders are nominated by the congregation. So, by the way, that also shows us that it's, it, there's a combination there. It's, it is elder rule, but there is much that there is input from the congregation and even confirmation voting. And so we see that. Now, what is a pastor? And I'm already giving you the end of this, the conclusion of this, but... What is the pastor? He is just one of the elders. So when the elder board votes, my vote is just one. I'm, I'm an elder. And we'll see that even in scripture where Peter, who is an apostle, calls himself an elder. Okay, so that is the function in the church. Is it biblical? I believe it is. Does it work? I believe it does. Um, and, and let's talk about that. Well, before we go any further then, let's just bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin the first part of the biblical perspective 
on elder rule, okay? Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we may not understand everything, and Father, we don't understand everything. But we understand your word because you understand everything, and you give us your pattern in the early church. You give us the scriptures. And at first, it may be something, Lord, that causes a knee-jerk reaction. But then, Father, as we see it in scripture, we understand its purposes. We come to settle in with it, Lord. And, Father, we just ask that I would present this in a way, Father, that is biblical, uh, but also very congenial, Lord, and understandable. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we take a look here, let's talk about the organization of the church, or a.k.a. church government. What does that really mean? Well, it means that this whole thing refers to the particular type of organizational structure and leadership that a church adheres to. Who are the leaders? What are their names? How do they function? Who, what, what happens when we vote? All of those things. So it is very important. Uh, it's very important to get this right. It's very important to make this biblical. Well, as we look at the organization of the early church, you remember when we started the book of 1 Timothy, one of the... Uh, one of the uh, assertions was that Paul didn't write Timothy. And, and you say, why? What, what, what do you say? Because the church and the apostle Paul were not highly organized in the early church, to which we rebutted. Basically, Paul was very structural. He was the one who would go from church to church appointing elders, when there was a problem and there were no elders, he would send someone like Titus to appoint elders. First thing, first thing to do, appoint elders. That's what you do in a church, a leadership. We find out that he went from city to city and appointed elders, plural, in a church. It was very developed. Turn with me, if you would, quickly to Philippians chapter 1. We're just going to uh, pan through these rather quickly. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice how he begins this epistle. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Well, how did they get overseers and deacons? And overseers is another name for elders. We'll explain that. How, how did they have it? Did they self-appoint it? No, we found out that Paul, this is what Paul was doing. It, it, it was maybe not to the structure that we have today, to a fault, but he certainly had this leadership idea of the elders. We turn to the book of Acts. Would you turn there with me with this one? Acts chapter 14, verse 23. This is in the book of Acts. It says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord 
in whom they had believed. So Paul was going around doing this church government, if you will, this church organization, the electing of elders. Now, what is an elder? That's a great question, and we'll be spending uh, several weeks discussing the qualifications for an elder. By the way, I want to remind us that in Jewish history in the Old Testament, the the authority wasn't just the prophets. They were a main authority, were they not? And not just the kings, but also even then it was established as elders of the tribes. So this position of elders actually goes way back into the Old Testament. And I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul looks back, sees that structure. That's the structure that the Holy Spirit wants for the New Testament. And that's exactly what's done. Now, as to answer, was Paul organized? Was the early church organized? It was undeniable. Ryrie writes, but that the early church was organized is undebatable. At the very first, though not later, they numbered the group. Acts chapter 6, how many were saved? Well, it says how many were saved. Soon they had to choose helpers for the apostles, Acts chapter 6. There was the designation of deacons who were helping the elders, and the elders are, uh, were those who were in charge, the apostles. Relief activities for the poor had to be organized early. In Acts chapter 4, we see that. So there's organization in meeting needs. Uh, there was a famine in Jerusalem. And Paul was taking up a collection on his missionary journey to go back and help the church in Jerusalem. Elders were recognized as leaders. They were recognized as leaders in Acts chapter 11, verse 30. It says, and this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. There were already elders in that other church. On the return leg of the first missionary journey, Paul ordained elders in the newly established churches, Acts 14, 23. So not only is Paul the writer of 1 Timothy, but the church was organized. There was a government set up. And as a Bible church, one of the first things we want to do is look and see what is the pattern and we want to emulate that. We are, after all, a Bible church. Now, you do find out that there are uh, numerous types of church governments. Some not, you know, some not so good and some not too bad. But, you know, why not try to make it biblical as close to the pattern? That's where the Bible church, I have discerned, that's where our niche is. This is, this is the things that are important to us, even church government. Well, let's just spend a moment talking about some of the different types of church government, just to let you know uh, where we are. But first of all, it would be the state-led church. Some even call it the national church. Let me give you a definition. So a national church is a group of churches organized under the head of state or within the limits of the state. So it's the government, it's the state that decides the religion. The implicit right of the state to be involved with 
and to exercise control in the churches exists within this organizational structure, Charles Ryrie. So it's the church that is run by the state or, or the, the, the national religion decided. Well, the first problem we have with that is outside of attempting to legislate religion. So if, if the government today began to legislate religion in a particular type of religion, we would probably be in trouble. We, we would probably be dissenters. There will be a time in the future when the whole world will have a worldwide religion under the Antichrist. But on top of that, or aside of that, we see in the scriptures that we are to separate the church and state. Okay, We, th we are thankful that there is supposed to be freedom of religion. It's supposed to be. We're thankful for that. That, that is a, a good thing on the one hand. But where do we get such an idea? Well, from Jesus, when they were trying to trip him up about Caesar, and do you give to Caesar, and should you give to Caesar? You know, you're such a religious man. And so they said to him, or he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, meaning that coin that came out of the fish's mouth didn't happen for me when I fished in the Sea of Galilee, but I did get a, a fish. And to God, the things that are God. So there is this idea of separation. Now, there's also the idea that as citizens, Christian citizens, we are to be submissive to our authorities, Romans chapter 13. And yet we do find times when they push the bounds. And there, there is a time when if they ever ask us to violate clear biblical principles, we have no other recourse except to obey God rather than man. The other problem you run into is church discipline. Church discipline under that government is in the hands of the state. They're the ones who decide. When it should be in the hands of the church, yes, even the elders, and then yes, even confirmed by the congregation. Now, what are we talking about? Well, Ryrie cites two. He cites the Anglican Church in England and the Lutheran Church in Germany, so we don't really see that so much here. Uh, what do we see in other countries? Well, in some other countries... Uh, we see no religion at all. That is, the, that is the demand of the government. No religion. No religion at all. Well, we then move to what's called the hierarchical. Um, and I want to be careful. I call this the denominational-led church. Uh, not all denominations practice this. And we're really talking about the hierarchy of men, like the pope. You know, that's a hierarchy. Charles Ryrie writes, In a hierarchical system, the ruling body of clergy is organized into orders or ranks, each of which is subordinate to the one above. And I guess we could probably look at some of the denominations and look at their, uh, you know, their associations and see who's the president of that. And, and, and you, you could say there's a type of that. But one of the things that, that the hierarchical uh, government does is it gives more than two positions from the Bible. So they would say, okay, there's elders, there's deacons, but there's also bishops. 
Well, what's kind of interesting, as we will see, the word bishop, well, that word isn't even translated in the NASB. The word bishop is synonymous with the term elder. So there's not three positions. So you'll get some with a hierarchy. Well, here's the bishop, and he's over the elders, and then the elders are over the deacons. So we, we don't see that in the Bible, so that we certainly don't go down that road. In fact, not only in the Bible, but the Didache, which was the early first century teaching manual, uh, they didn't have everything correct. It wasn't inspired. But they, they show that we're not to refer to bishops as a third party. We would also say, too, wouldn't we not, that we do not believe in apostolic succession. You know, after the first century, when the last apostle died, that was the end of the apostles. We have the apostles teaching in the word of God, but there is no authority like the apostles who would either A, write scripture, or B, teach infallibly. And yet we know some of these denominations and hierarchies that believe that, that believe that that's still going on. Some of the examples would be, and, and again, I would dare say some of this is changing a little bit. Um, everything is loosening up. Doctrinal statements are loosening up so that, so that more and more people could come. That's the name of the game. And if, it, if, if something is offensive to a certain amount of people, well, then we're going to change that. Never mind what the Word of God says. The Methodist denomination, uh, it's, it's less absolute, Ryrie comments. You have the Episcopal Church, which is more absolute of this hierarchy. And then you have the Roman Catholic Church, which is totally absolute with the Pope of the hierarchy. So we're looking at the different kinds of governments, and we're even saying some of the problems. Now, there's two more that I want to go over. And if you're, if you're looking um, in a particular book of theology or even on the Internet, you're going to find different titles you're going to find different numbers of types of, of uh, church government. Um, this is the way I see it, and I, I tried to make it as not as confusing. The next one is the congregational-led church, which Ryrie defines as basically the congregational form of government means that ultimate authority for governing the church rests in the members themselves. And again, that, that seems intuitive, right? I mean, it certainly sees, seems intuitive. And it's not without its own background. Um, they would stress the priesthood of believers. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are uh, priests of God. And there are things in Scripture that we are told to take care of. Um, now, they do have leaders in those churches, but those leaders are just one vote in the congregational vote. So it's the congregation that leads. And I'm not saying that that is totally bad or totally wrong, but one of the problems that could happen is you could have a church of young believers, immature believers, carnal believers who are making the decisions for the direction of the church. And those who are in leadership can do nothing about it because that's the way it's going to go. 
And by the way, I've seen that happen numerous times. Where that's that to me, that is the warning bell of how pastors get kicked out of churches right there, because they want to go in a different direction and uh, a less biblical direction, if you will. Okay, a less conservative direction. Now, I'm not saying that every congregational church is like that, but that's a potential. And you say, well, couldn't, couldn't there be carnality in elders? Yes, yes. Isn't that a problem? Yes. But it is fixed by the fact that it's the congregation that confirms them. So if they think there's a guy who's carnal, or they know something about him that nobody else knows about, that can be inserted. They can be withdrawn. And we're going to even see all of the qualifications for elders. So some of the congregational, and not all, not all, some Baptist, and then the congregational denomination, Christian churches. And like I said, I, the first church I had, um, I had by accident. <laughs> Well, we went to Bible college, and uh, I, I, wanted to be, I wanted to be preaching right away. Uh, Grace Bible Church, our pastor John, who's coming in June, he had taken a church in Mississippi. So there was an elder board, and I happened to be on the elder board at that time. And they said, well, since you're one of the elders, why don't you take the morning services and preach since you're going to be going to Bible college and pursue the pastorate? So that was wonderful to me. I, I pray. I pray that it was helpful to the congregation, okay? I don't think that's the reason why it dwindled down to eight families, but um, anyway, um, so I had an opportunity. Well, I went to Bible college, and then in Bible college, first thing I did was went down to uh, the office, and I said, hey, look, uh, is there any pulpit supply? I'd like to be on that list. And he goes, oh, hey, here's, uh, here's four weeks at this one church. He said, you can either split it up or you can do them all. I'm like, I'm going to do them all. So I go there, and the first week, and the first thing they say to me, are you here to candidate? <laughs> candidate? Candidate? How do you even think of the candidate? I said, well, no, but I can. And, uh, well, the rest was history, and I became the pastor of East Nat Mill Baptist Church. Don't ask me what a nap meal is. I, all I know is it's better than, than Crow Hill Baptist Church, okay? I, that's the name that they changed it from. So, but anyway, so I, I was there for seven years. And as I said, you know, in their constitution, there were deacons, and then the pastor was the elder. He, he ran it. It was a one-man show, which I already knew wasn't biblical. But they were gracious enough, and I said, well, this is, this is, the, way, this is the way I think we should do it. We should do it as the way that I think is biblical, and, and they, were, they were gracious enough to do it as, as much as they could. Um, but anyway, we see the congregational. But when you go to the New Testament, what's interesting is when it talks about the elders, it talks about a long list of qualifications for elders who are overseers, who are in leadership. You almost get the idea, well, he's not even talking about the congregation. He's talking about the leadership. He doesn't talk about the congregation's qualifications to be uh, the authority. He talks about that the elders are to be. So, again, an elder-ruled church, the congregation gives the authority of the church to a plurality of 
elders. Again, I don't want there to be a knee-jerk reaction. And I think, there, I think for the most part, many of you don't have that. Many of you came from Bible churches. Many of you came from churches who had this same kind of structure. But I, I, I feel it's necessary to at least explain it. Again, as we read in Acts 14, it says, when, when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So that's what Paul did. And then in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, uh, go ahead and, and turn there. This is an important one. So we have at least two young men underneath Paul that he is mentoring, that he is ministering to, he is developing. And Timothy, we know, can be a little on the shy side. You know, he tells him not to be that way. And I, 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 when we look at Timothy's life, he certainly has overcome that. But when you think of Titus, to me, Titus is what, what my dad used to call in basketball a hatchet man. <laughs> He's going to go in and take care of problems. And that was Titus. Titus was the one when Paul said, and God is saving the Gentiles. Here's Titus. Ask him any question you want. Check to see if he's a believer in your own mind. So, well, they had problems in Crete. You know what he says about Crete, that they're always liars and brutes. And he says, and, and they are, he says. Well, they have a problem in that church. So Paul is going to send his hatchet man to straighten things out. And what's the first thing you should do to straighten out a new church? Delegate elders. Not the congregation. Delegate elders. He says, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order, and that word means, it's a, a medical term, means to, to mend a broken bone. Set a broken bone. Get Things are broken, fix them. Set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So we, we see this. So, so the, it, you're looking at the scriptures and saying, yeah, the, the, it doesn't look like the congregation is the main authority. But as we ask that, and if we are true to Scripture, we are not going to say, never mind the congregation, because that wouldn't be true. The congregation was involved, as it should be. And I see this as wisdom. And we even have that here in this church. But elder nominees are appointed by the elders, but it's confirmed by congregational vote. If... if if, there, if there's a problem with someone and even the congregation is not on board with it, I think the elders ought to step back. I think the elders need to pray about this. So that's it. But there's other areas in which many churches and this church has what we call the confirmation vote of the congregation. Like if there's a constitution addendum, which we had uh, about a year or so ago. So we presented it as elders. This is what we were recommending but we needed the confirmation vote of the congregation. There's also, in our Constitution, for large expenditures. There's a certain limit that we as elders can spend, but there is a certain limit that if we go beyond that, then it needs congregation confirmation. And so many call this elder rule blend with congregation. I, I have no problem with that. 
I, I think it's biblical because it talks about in Scripture, it talks about, and the congregation approved. I, I think it's biblical, and I also think it's wise. I also think it's wise. And that's one of the reasons why I, as a pastor, am quite happy to be just one of the elders. They're, they're, the reason why there's a plurality of elders is that there's more than one godly man making decisions. And sometimes we don't always agree. So what we do in that situation is, just because I'm the pastor, I don't say, well, hey, this is the way it's going to be, men. We, we actually take a break and table it, and come back after praying about it. And usually, always, we see a unanimous vote at some point. Uh, the Lord deals with the hearts. So, it is a blend. Now, as far as deacons go, we're asked, well, what about deacons? Well, yep, they're part of that, they're part of that administration too, but it's not as though deacons have to be there. We'd like them to be. If there's anybody who wants to be a deacon, step forward now. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But it, it's the elders that is what is necessary, I believe. Um, at least that's, that's also the way we have it in our Constitution, and I think that's right. So this is, what, this is what Ryrie says. He says that you will find the elder rule in the independent Bible church. That's what we are. Somebody says, well, what's a Bible church? Well... We're independent, not a hierarchy. We're non-denominational. We're not told what to do by the denomination. And we're a Bible church. We go and we try to follow the Bible in as many areas, first and foremost in doctrine, and then even in the way that we conduct ourselves, even in our government. So this, this elder rule is found in independent Bible churches, some Presbyterian some Reformed, and even some independent Baptist churches. So, again, over the years, I've watched some wiggle room. And when, when some of these churches move towards this, I'm, I'm happy for the wiggle. Uh, I'm not happy with all wiggles, but I'm happy for that wiggle. Here's what Charles Ryrie says. The church and the Roman government were separate. There was no national church in New Testament times. The hierarchical church was a post-biblical development. Oh, oh, wasn't the original pattern. The early church did have a governmental structure. Local churches, though they fellowshiped, and of course local churches were many times in homes, by the way, they weren't anti-building. They weren't allowed to have buildings. They weren't allowed to meet in these big buildings. It would be often confiscated. So, you know, not that there's anything wrong with home Bible studies or anything like that. Or, or even a church that begins that way. But don't think, well, in order to be biblical, we should never meet in a building. No, that's perfectly fine. They just couldn't at that time. Local churches... Though they fellowshiped and cooperated with each other, were not organizationally linked together. No denomination. Everybody always asks me, what, is, is the Bible church a denomination? And the answer is no, but it's, they are as close as you can get. What I mean by that is when I do talk to other pastors of Bible churches, 
you know, for the most part, for some, except for some of the sad wiggle room, for the most part, it's, it's all about, no, we're doing it the same way. A lot of times it's expository preaching. Uh, this, this is why I appreciate the Bible church. This is why, this is why we need a Bible church here because in a 60-mile radius, we're the only Bible church. I'm not saying the only biblical church. I'm not saying that. But I mean the Bible church. And I don't, I don't ever feel like we need to change and take out Bible and put in the word community, okay? I mean, I mean, why not get to get everything out on the table to begin with? Not that I'm saying anything about a church that adds community. I'm just saying, I mean, we, we know John MacArthur, Grace Community. But we, I don't, I, I wouldn't ever be for that. Why? To accommodate more people? No. Let's, let's be who we are and draw people who are like-minded, Want the Bible. Want the Bible even in things like government as well as doctrine. So he also goes on to say, now the congregation was involved in some matters. Bingo, there it is. We're following the word. But leaders did take the reins in other matters. The New Testament picture seems to include a blend of congregational and elder rule government limited to the local level. So hence, you are attending an independent, non-denominational, no-frills Bible church. I just threw in the no-frills. You know what? We don't, you know what? We don't need frills when we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the people and their joy and the love for the Lord and the love for fellowship and the love for the word. Oh, my word. That's, it, do, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, with what little time I have, and I do have a little time, I'd like to now start talking about elder rule. And we're actually going to look at uh, some Bible verses. So again, this is probably more on the side of teaching than preaching, but that's okay. We're teaching the Bible, and I think, I think this is very important for us to know. So if you're thinking about elder rule, who are the elders? What do they do? What, what do we know about them? Well, their office is spiritual leadership, okay? That's what it's about, spiritual leadership. The function is oversight, okay? So it's the idea that we oversee things. We're responsible for things before God. The ministry is to shepherd, to shepherd. And then, of course, the pastor is an elder. So let's take a look now at the office of elder is spiritual leadership. It begins with the word presbyteros. And the word presbyteros is used several times. It's, it's used in Titus 1.5, the one that we read there where it said, to set in order and appoint elders, presbyteros. What, what does presbyteros mean? Well, simply it would mean one with a position and leadership. But when you go to the Old Testament, when you go to the Old Testament, it had an emphasis on the age of the man. That's, that's not the emphasis in the New Testament. New Testament is spiritual qualification. 
But in the Old Testament, you, you read about the elders, you know, uh, like in Exodus 3.16, Moses was told to go and gather the elders of Israel. And it, it's, it, you look up the word zaken in Hebrew, and it means older, and it means beard. So, uh, uh, you know, gray beard, if you will, someone once said. It, it just, for them, it was someone who was older and, and you know, been, been on that rodeo before. And that was the idea. Now, it didn't necessarily mean they were spiritual. But you were hopeful, and you were hopeful that they had wisdom. But that was the idea of it. And, and even in the New Testament, sometimes the word presbuteros means older man. It says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, 1 Timothy 5.1. So it can mean that, literally. But, but, but figuratively, it means spiritual. And here's the difference. The difference is spiritual maturity. And by the way, not only is that a difference, it's not so much age, but it is the spiritual maturity, the qualifications. And he's going to go through all the qualifications. And that's who you're looking for to nominate as elders. The other thing that we would say here is that it has nothing to do with your status. You may be a president of a bank. You may be, you know, high in society. That doesn't necessarily make you a good elder because in the New Testament, it is spiritual maturity that matters. Uh, even in our Sunday school, we went over all of the lists of of different characteristics, and some of them were in regard to the leadership and the elders. Absolutely, that's what it is. It is those characteristics. Um, why isn't it age? Well, it doesn't. Now, you can't be too young, I would imagine, but even in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness. But rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of all those who believe. How old was Timothy exactly? We don't know for sure. We think that when he joined Paul's ministry, he was somewhere in the, like 18 to 20. He writes this letter 15 years later, and he's still calling him youthful. Now, is that because when you're older, everybody's youthful? I, I think not. I think... In terms of leadership, he, he probably had some problems with some people saying, well, you're young, you don't, you don't know it all. Well, that's, that's not necessarily the main qualification. What about spiritual leadership? You know, we've seen some with status, and you would think they would be able to have some kind of godly decorum, and yet there wasn't. So you don't appoint a man because of his status or his age, but don't let that hinder you, or because he has a gray beard, you know but because of spiritual maturity. That's what we see. Now, the next thing is the function. What about the function? What do they do? Well, here's where we see the other word for an elder. Overseer. Or in the Greek, episkopos. Yes, it is where you, we get the episcopalian word. And, but, but the word comes from the Greek word skopos which means scope, all right? So we're already ringing 
ringing true with certain people. You understand what a scope is? Well, it's episcope. It's scope over. You're viewing over. You're overseeing it. Making sure things run according to the Bible. Making sure no false teaching comes in. Making sure that the church is done in orderly manner and peaceful. And the decisions that are made are not made for one person, but for the entire group. That's what an overseer does. So I would like you to turn to for, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5 again. I want to put this together. So in verse 5, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would... Set in order what remains and appoint elders. There's presbyteros. Okay, so he's talking about elders, those who are in leadership. Verse 6, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. And then the word for, which means, here, let me explain. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. That word overseer there is episkopos. That's not a new position. That's the same meaning. It's a synonym of our word elder in English. Presbyteros means you're in leadership. Episkopos means this is what you do. You oversee spiritually. And, and everyone is invited to do that, of course. I mean, just because I'm not an elder, I don't care about things. I don't mean that. But... At the end of the day, it would be the elder's responsibility to oversee all things and the elder's privilege to minister as we're trying to see spiritual things happen. We, when we make decisions up there, we are always thinking about, is this going to be spiritual? We don't want to just do something just to do something and fill up the calendar. Is this, is this a ministry that seems to be blessing people? And if not... Um, if, if, the, if, if at the moment the congregation isn't interested in such type of ministry, okay, fine. We table it. Maybe we bring it back later. We almost had to do that with the men's breakfast. Uh, it was just dwindling down. We were saying, well, you know, we might as well just go meet at Perkins. Nobody's coming out. And we prayed about it. And if you've been attending our, our men's breakfast, it's one of the, as far as men's ministry goes, one of the, the, uh, one of the great great attended, well-attended ministries that we have. And yesterday was really a, a blessing. Thank you so much, Mike, for your devotional yesterday. It was really meaningful to all of us. But looking at verse 5, when he says elders, he's talking about those who would be in leadership in the church. Verse 7, what, what are they? Let's go through some of the qualifications. He's an overseer. He oversees things. So it's the same office, but... There will be those who will say, well, no, one means a bishop and he's hired. Eh, you don't get that there. You don't get that there. It's just a title that is synonymous because the word for is connecting verse 5 and verse 7. Well, next we have the ministry. So that was the office. That was the function. What is the ministry? Well, this is, this is beautiful. The ministry of the elder is to shepherd and we are called under shepherds, Christ being the great shepherd. Now, you know what it means to shepherd, and you don't even need any explanation. 
but I'd like to give you one anyway. The, the Greek word is poimino, poimino, and it means literally a shepherd, but figuratively or spiritually, it means those who tend and feed the sheep figuratively with the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 9, 7, you don't have to turn there, but it talks about those who tend the flock. And he's speaking of a literal sense. But I want to look at the spiritual sense. So what do we mean when we say the spiritual ministry of shepherding? And, and this really is what the elders are all about. Let me, let me uh, have you turn to a number of verses. I want to work my way through these verses because this is so good. The first one is Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Now, Acts chapter 6 in the early part <coughs> is where we believe, even though the word deacon isn't used, we believe that the deacons were established. Verse 4, 1 through 4, are talking about a problem in the church, and the apostles are ministering to people, not only the word of God, but are ministering to every other thing, including making sure that some of the widows get fed. And we come to verse 3, Acts chapter 6, verse 3. And here's the decision by the elders. Talk about organization. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit. Well, we know what that is from our study in Sunday school. And of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But here you go. Here's the credo. Here's the elder's credo. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I know we're talking about the apostles here. But it's, it's, it's by implication, I think, very easy to place it on elders. By the way, Peter, who is an apostle, calls himself a fellow elder. Because the elders was the structure. But notice what is said. We will devote ourselves to prayer and and to the ministry of the word. And there you have it. That is really the first idea of shepherding. And it's the shepherding of feeding with the word of God. It's also prayer. It's a spiritual ministry. That's what an elder is. That's what he does. That's his main job. Do you have to do other things? Yes, you do. And there are times that we wish there were deacons. But I will also say, too, that, you know, we have seen an awful lot of people just step up and help. That's fantastic. Um, we've always heard the motto, you know, 10% um, uh, of the people do 90% of the work. And then I would add on to that, and we're praying for the other 90% to come. Well, guess what? Truly, the Lord has been bringing some of the 90%. And we appreciate that so much. Anyway, why? So that we can attend to these things. And I don't know, I'm not sure what you think of me when, if you want to meet with me on a particular day like Wednesday, and I say, I can't meet with you today, I'm studying for tonight. Um, I mean, unless it would be an emergency, you know, that kind of a thing. It's not because I want to be rude, but it's because I have to get this done. I have to do this. This is my job. I mean, the most wonderful job there could ever be. I am an elder, but I get to be the privileged elder who gets to study the word of God and then teach it. 
And it's the same thing throughout the week. Uh, you, you, can, you can ask my wife. I, I just am not settled in my spirit until that sermon is done. And the problem with me is my sermon is never done because I'm a tweaker. So, yeah, so I'm in Sunday morning, and I'm, you know, I'm doing the final tweaks, the final tweaking. But that's fine. That, that, I, mean, I mean, that's what you want. That's what you want to do. That's the ministry of the Lord. So my point is that when people come in and, and help out in what would even be termed as menial tasks, you have no idea how appreciative I am. Because if you wouldn't do it, and we'd have to say one of the elders, you come do it, or I'd have to do it. And now I'm really getting frustrated, okay? Now my sermon isn't getting done, okay? So I can't tell you how much I appreciate what you do. But this is the idea. This ought to be our credo, our motto. And it's not just the word, but it's prayer. And it's not just prayer, but it's the ministry of the word. And so when people call me up and they have a question, I love that. I love that. Or, you know, uh, I've told several men, look, if you're doing a devotional and you're not used to doing a devotional, I'd love to help you. I won't preach it for you. I would if you let me. But I, I love that. I mean, this is what I do. This is the ministry of the word. So anyway, I'm getting off a little bit of the topic of, of elders there. But all elders are in this. They are to feed the flock with the word of God. Now turn with me to John. John chapter 21. These are famous verses. This is that famous event where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter says yes and gets a little frustrated. Well, part of what's going on is when you look at it in the Greek, Jesus is saying, Peter... Do you love me with the highest self-sacrificial love, agape? And Peter responds with not the highest love, but the second highest love. Yes, Lord, you know that I have friendship love for you, phileo. And the Lord asks him again, do you have agape love for me? Now, I don't think they were saying it in these words. I think this is what the Holy Spirit has revealed because they spoke Aramaic. So, as, but, so we know, we get to see Peter's heart here. He said, do you agape me? And he says, you know I have this great friendship love for you. By the way, this is right after he denied Christ three times. Three times Christ is answer, asking him, do you love me? But what's very interesting about this is the third time he asked, him, Peter, Peter, do you have phileo love for me? Of course, Peter gets frustrated. You know I, I have that. What an interesting thing is our Lord meets us where we are at as believers. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying to love you with all my heart. Sometimes I see that I fail. I love you, and I meet you where you're at. If that's all the love that you could give me at this moment, I'll take it. But we'll still work on reaching the agape self-sacrificial love. So that's what's going on. But look at what happens. So each time he asks him, do you love me? And Peter says, of course, you know I do. Jesus says this, well, then tend my lambs. Tend my lambs as a shepherd. And the word there for tend is bosco, which means to feed. 
Feed, okay, you love me? Well, here's your ministry then. Feed my lambs. With what? The word of God, of course. Second time, do you love me? Well, Lord, you know I love you. Well, then shepherd my sheep. Be a spiritual shepherd to them. And even the third time, he said, tend my sheep. Again, feed, feed sheep, meaning maybe older ones now, um, the idea there. All of them, the whole thing. So Peter was not dismissed from leadership. Peter became one of the top leaders of the New Testament church. Um, and here already he had received his mission statement, feed my sheep. With what? In Acts chapter 6, they said, our ministry is to be the ministry of the word of God and prayer. That's what the elders are supposed to do, as well as other things. Now, we'll do one, we'll do one more. Um, we also, as you know, we, and you hear it a lot, we are to guard the flock from false teaching. You see that in so many verses, virtually all of them, not all of them, but virtually all of them in the New Testament, there's something about false teaching and we have to guard it. When Paul left the elders, he met with them in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And this is what he said. And, and, and just, boy, these words are fantastic. He's speaking to the elders now. Isn't that interesting? He didn't invite the whole congregation. He invited the elders because they were... They were the leaders in the New Testament church. And Paul goes, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Among whom which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So now even the Holy Spirit is involved in elder rule government. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock with false teaching. And so what a beautiful verse that is. It, we're to guard ourselves. We're to guard the flock. We're to be overseers. We're to be shepherds spiritually. And we are to make sure that Savage wolves through false teaching don't come in. And this is the idea of it. Well, I'm going to stop there and we'll pick it up next week. We'll pick it up next week. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the ministry of elders. And then we'll also talk about the plurality of elders. I think this all together gives us an understanding of the New Testament church government. Let me just, let me just close with this. Proper, this is from John MacArthur. By the way, John MacArthur has a book called The Master Plan of the Church, recommended. It would be a great book to have. Also, Charles Ryrie in his Basic Theology, which is not basic, uh, has a good section on church leadership and elders and things like that. And it was really a good guide on the different types of governments. There are, there are various others that are, that are pretty good. John MacArthur says, proper biblical government by elders does strengthen the church. 
And the biblical norm for church leadership is a plurality of God-ordained elders. Furthermore, it is the only pattern for church leadership given in the New Testament. Nowhere in Scripture do you find a locally assembly ruled by majority opinion or, or by one pastor. That's so good. So let me make this applicable and palatable. We serve the Lord, do we not? And that's ultimately what we do. And when he gives us admonitions in scripture, we incorporate that because we're ultimately serving the Lord. And it's for that reason that in Hebrews chapter 13, we read these words, which can only be really understood through an elder rule government. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. It's talking about spiritual leadership. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So somewhere, somewhere in my own growth, uh, not being an elder, I realized, oh my word, there is an authority in the church today. You know, we, in this world that we live in, it's like, I can do anything I want and nobody can do anything and certainly that church can't do anything. But when you become a member of many good churches and of this church, the, there is the idea that you are, you are agreeing to submit to the leadership. And there's an accountability there. There's accountability for all of us there. And it's not saying we're better, not at all. Not at all. But it's the idea that this is what the Lord asks us to do. Again, we're not better than you, and we'll look at it next week when Peter talks about him being a fellow elder and talks to elders, do not lord it over, but with humility and a servant's heart, carry out your shepherding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is what gives us wisdom. Lord, you tell us to trust in you with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. That means, Lord, it might be confusing, which is the proper church government. So we'll just go to the word of God, trust you, see what it says, and believe that, Father, this is what you have set up. Is it infallible? Absolutely not, because men are involved. But it is the God-given structure, I believe, that you have for us. Help us all, Father, to understand that we serve Christ, who is the great shepherd. And Father, what a privilege it is to be an under-shepherd. And oh God, may we be ever an example of those things. May our example be true. May you be pleased. And will you help us to nurture others to grow spiritually along with ourselves. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.